In our fast-paced world, many of us struggle with overthinking and worry that leaves us feeling overwhelmed or stuck. In this podcast, we will hear stories of successful individuals and have conversations and ways to reach our true potential by embracing every micro detail of our identity, especially the flaws that make us unique. This is your host, Maria Grace Wolf. I'm a Filipino-American entrepreneur, psychotherapist, and mom of two boys. And my mission is to amplify diverse perspectives and experiences and inspire your journey to wellness and fulfillment. Hi, everyone. My guest for today is William Hemphill II. He is a counselor, pastor, and speaker. He is also the author of the book, Praying with Your Spouse, A Secret to Building Intimacy in Your Marriage. William is a husband who has been married for over 25 years and a father who adopted three children. He understands the rewards and challenges of maintaining a strong marriage and blending a family. Listen in as we hear more of his story and also find out what reactive cycle means and how understanding this can help our marriage. Thank you so much, William, for being here with me today. I am excited to have this conversation with you. Let's start off with having you introduce yourself to our listeners. What led you to where you are today? All right. Thank you so much, Grace, first of all, for having me today. It's an honor and pleasure to be here with you and just to spend some time with your audience. And so thank all of you each. Thank you very much. So my background is I'm originally from the West Coast. I was born in Los Angeles, California, spent my first 13 years in L.A. I have family still out there. I grew up and I like to say when I tell people I come, I'm a product of several different homes. My mother and father were actually together until I was five years old when they ended up divorcing. And so that was the first five years of my life where I spent time with both of them. Then I like to say I spent a couple years, obviously, living with my mother. So she was a single mom with one child for a couple years. Then she met my stepfather and they got married. And I gained four step-siblings who are all older than me. And so most of them stayed at their mother's house, but I did have a stepbrother who went back and forth between homes and stayed with them. Things were mostly pretty good, but we had our conflicts at times. I think I like to say my biggest conflicts were times between me and my stepbrother. As I like to say, when I do some of my marital work, we had two different sets of rules. My rules were I had to get my work done. I had to do my schoolwork. I had to be on top of all that. Whereas my stepbrother, he had a lot of freedom to go back and forth and do whatever he did. He was, I want to say about five years older than me. Okay. There were a lot of different rules at his mother's house than at my house. And then my stepfather probably didn't enforce the rules as much with him. So that actually, so I stayed there with about, I think it was about three years or so. And then I actually lived with my father for about two years. So probably that first year was me and him together living in a neighborhood. By then, he was still, he was a minister by then. And so spent a lot of time at church and he was also a police officer. And so a lot of times he did the night shift. I would stay at home by myself at times at night. But I grew up in a period where I like to say in the early 70s, and so we were the first generation of latchkey kids anyway. Oh, 
to your parents, either both parents working or one parent working, and you just had to learn how to care for yourself. So it was me and him for a year, and then he married my stepmother, and I gained another stepbrother. And so then we stayed together for about another year and a half until I moved to Georgia. And that's how I ended up in Georgia. And I've been in Georgia pretty much ever since. I go out to visit family and stuff like that, but I've been here ever since. Thank you for sharing that with us, just being in a blended family. How do you think that, how did that impact you, you know, with the person that you are now? Yeah, it was actually very interesting as I think about it. I know a lot of has to do with a lot of the work I do now with marriages and some work with adoption, which we get time, I'll probably share that part of my story too. So one of the things that I have noticed, not just being a person of faith, but living, growing up, seeing people, experiencing counseling, some people, so on and so forth, is I like to say we aren't taught how to be married well. So we aren't taught how to communicate. We aren't taught how to handle conflict. We aren't taught how to navigate disagreements, like if we disagree about parenting, finances, Mm -hmm. so on, so forth, you name it. And so what happens is a lot of times we end up in these conflicts and we end up doing all sorts of things, getting divorced, I don't know, having affairs, living in silence in two separate places, all of these different things. And I think about initially, one of the things I think about with my mother and my father is they were both involved in ministry in their later years. So my father, obviously, being a pastor and different things. My mother actually was a children's minister and a prayer minister, and she actually helped start a children's ministry of one of the biggest mega churches in the world now, actually. Oh, wow. But what was interesting about that is there are times, especially as I got older, I would look at their gifts and their complementary gifts, and I was like, they could have been a big force together, but because of how they grew up and all the stuff and the trauma they experienced, they didn't know how to relate to one another. And so they couldn't stay together. They didn't know how to relate to one another. It probably was best for them to separate, probably best for them and probably a little better for my mental health in the long run, actually, that they did. But I watch these dynamics with that. I've been in blended families and I see some of the struggles people have learning how to relate to one another. And so part of that's a big influence on a lot of the work that I do now, working a lot with marriages and then even a little bit some with families. So almost 14 years actually doing pastoral work. A lot of that work, I would say, was a process for me. So being a preacher's kid, a PK, I don't know if you've heard any of the stories of PKs, but a lot of times preacher's kids don't necessarily like church. (laughs) Ah. I guess we spend a lot of time in it. All day on Sundays Mm -hmm. with services, or of course, We're involved in prayer meetings, choir rehearsals, extra services, cleaning up the church, youth ministry, all these different things, you name it. And so we spent a lot of time in the church. There were good and bad points to it. Being a teenager, you want to do other things sometimes. Right, you want to be free. Yeah, you want to be free. You want to go play basketball with your friends or hang out or do some other things like that. And you might want to hang out on a Friday night, but no, there's a Friday night revival. So you're going to be at church, stuff like that. 
So what some happens of those, if you don't want, what happens if you don't go? Like you just said, oh, I have plans. I can't. There was no option. option. <laughs> <laughs> there was no option. You're willing like, in oh, that I have plans. Just, no, you were going. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was how growing up for part of the time, there was no option. You were going to church. And then even when I came to Georgia with my mother and stepfather, they were involved in their church. You do a lot of couples counseling, right? Yes. Most of the time, they're actually coming in just because they're having marital conflict. Uh, Yeah, they probably can't agree about parenting, can't agree, you name the conflicts. People have money, different things like, or they've had strife to the point and they're arguing and can't communicate. And so a lot of the work that I'll do with couples is trying to help them understand, I call it their reactive cycle or how their emotions trigger this circle of conflict. And so a lot of times I like to talk about how, okay, there's some emotion that's going on inside of us. Maybe we're feeling unloved or ignored, Mm -hmm. disrespected or something like that. That triggers a reaction in us, whether it's complaining, getting defensive, or doing some reactions with us. And those reactions usually trigger something else in our part. And it's my opinion personally that every conflict we run into in marriage, that thing is the base or underlying of it. Because what happens is when we're operating out of our emotional fears or triggers, We can't hear clearly because we're no longer thinking from the front of our brain. We're starting to think from the back of our brain or we're just reacting. And so we're reacting emotionally, almost like we'd react to a physical threat. And so that's a lot of my work is trying to help people understand that and then learning how to slow that down and regulate themselves emotionally so that they can talk and communicate with one another. And so that particular piece, I like to say, happens whether you're faith-based or not. And so I have some people come who are faith-based, some who come who are Christian. I've had a couple of people who come who have been Muslim or different things like that. But I find those pieces actually work. Now, if you're actually, let's say, if you're Christian or faith-based, sometimes you might be able to incorporate your faith into some of that to see either how it empowers you or helps you to relate to your spouse or helps you individually, or in some cases can harm you individually or harm you as a couple mentally and emotionally. I'm wondering like, okay, so when you meet someone and they sweep sweep you off your feet and you have this amazing connection, it becomes serious until you realize your religious views uh, don't align. And then, so when this happens many relationship will end or some will convert over to the other. Like, how do you help couple work through this? Or do you, does that come up? Uh, That hasn't come up as much for me. Most of it has been dealing with the conflict. In a couple instances, like you say, different faiths, like you can actually have the same faith in different faiths, by the way. Oh, explain, say more about that. What do you mean? Okay, so for instance, Someone might be Christian, but maybe they're very conservative Christian and somebody might be Catholic or Baptist or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so what happens is you may have two different types of ways of practicing your faith. 
And so I can, I almost call that interfaith also because you're practicing your faith in two different ways. I see. And so some of it would be trying to understand what is the value you place behind your faith mm-hmm. and your faith practice and what does that give to you? And then learning how to communicate that or share that with your spouse and what that means. And so there are cases when I've been able to help some couples navigate. And in some cases, they're open learning how to bridge some of their practice faith work together. When they're looking for someone who's faith-based, what can they expect? In my case, there are probably people who are saying, okay, we want someone who's Christian. And here's what I mean by that. And I've seen that even with like Muslim couples and some folks I've worked They want somebody who's not going to devalue their faith because there have been instances, and I've heard clients say this to me, they've gone to counselors and they've devalued the role of faith in the lives of their clients. Can you give us an example? So I've had some say, I've gone to X counselor and they'll say, I've gone to X therapist and that therapist might either challenge my beliefs in God or say maybe I shouldn't go to this particular church or temple without understanding why that's important to me to do that. For instance, someone may choose, let's say we're picking a church, that might have a semi, for lack of a better term, authoritarian or oppressive faith. But a person is going there not just because of their connection to God, but maybe their connection to family, their social networks, the stability that they find, the grounding they find, the support, the settling or different things like And so what I say, it's important to hear the whole faith story because we have reasons behind what we do. And so that's an example on one end. Now, I've also seen this on the other end, which is why I like to say I'm a licensed professional counselor with training in the mental health field and different things like that. I've seen people sometimes, I'll just say, I'll just use this, go to, quote unquote, a biblical counselor, because this is what I might have encountered. And you've had people quoting verses and scriptures about certain topics, again, without understanding the story and what's going on with the client and why they're doing what they're doing. Uh And so in that case, it can actually become hindering. So I almost like to say I hate both those realms, if that makes sense. Some therapist who's not familiar with other faith practices Mm -hmm. can mistakenly hinder someone's healing because you're not aware of their religion and their practices and their beliefs and their culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things we, I like to say, we have to be careful for. A lot of it I've found though, if you try to learn the story of the person, it can help out a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, one of the blessings that I do have is because I've done some chaplaincy work. Obviously, Mm -hmm. my primary emphasis is Christianity. That's what I know, different things like that. But I have worked with some people 
who are of Islamic faith and some other faiths, different things like that. And so I've known because of my chaplaincy work, sometimes how to talk and how to relate and at least create a bridge for people. I see. Are there any common mistakes that therapists are doing? The biggest mistake, that, and this is a mistake that I can say we can all make at times as therapists, and it's not necessarily faith. It could be anything interculturally. Mm -hmm. is not being willing to listen to the story. Okay. So if you have positive regard for your client and view them as a valuable human being, and they're coming to you for healing, being able to listen to their story is a big deal. Now, if you can listen to their story and build that therapeutic connection, then a lot of times those things can take care of themselves. So that's what I've found. And I would say by far, if there's a mistake that we make, that's the mistake. And just being willing to acknowledge your mistake and acknowledge the fact that you aren't familiar yeah. and that you will educate yourself from now on. And those things in the beginning, even if someone does come and I've worked with them, like sometimes there's an aspect of emotional regulation I do, especially with people of Christian faith that I've learned from some of the intensives I've done where there is an aspect of Christianity that helps them. But I've also tried to modify it for someone who is not of the Christian faith, for instance. And in some cases, it might be talking to someone who's, where does your faith play in that? How can that help you to regulate your emotions? So asking those questions. Here's the interesting thing. We're all unique human beings, I like to say. So let's say even if we are of the same faith, we are mm -hmm. going to believe some things differently right. just because right. of our life experiences, our filters, and all those different things. Yeah, I think that's really important, right? The communication piece. Let's say your partner come up to you and open up the dialogue and tells you, I really would like for us to connect when using the I statements and bringing yeah, up the mm -hmm. topic, being mm -hmm. able to communicate to your partner what's important to you, why this is important to you. So I'm always looking at it from both sides. So when it comes to having that dialogue, some people may find it difficult to have those conversations. It helps a partner to know they're being hurt. And I think a lot of people would be surprised that a lot of conflict comes down to just being hurt. You may not agree or it may not matter. I know even my own marriage, sometimes when we hear one another, it's like, okay, you can go do what you were going to do, what we were spitting out for on. It's just a matter of being heard. Because when I go back to what I was talking earlier, that fear down reactive cycle, we can't hear one another clearly. So a lot of conflict just comes down to being heard. And so when we do that, like what I hear you saying, and then you summarize, your spouse knows that you are actively trying to listen to them and hear them. And so that creates a level of calmness to begin with. Two, I've seen it when you say something back to your spouse, they often can reflect on what they're saying. I had this happen actually in a marriage intensive one time when the wife was expressing something. I can't even remember the topic. She's like, when X happens, I'm feeling, I'm just making this, I'm saying dismissing the love. Husband does a great job of listening to her sister. So you're telling me when this event happened and such that you're feeling dismissed and love. The wife actually stopped and said, you know what? You got that right. 
but that's not what I meant to say. But that's not the what point. I really I meant to say was I was feeling this. So in other words, even when you're summarizing, you're allowing the speaker to hear it again so they can be sure to refine what they want to clearly say. Yeah, it's clarity. It's being yeah. able to, it's like reflecting back what you hear. And then the person saying it will go, wait, mm. it's heard you say that. And that's, that's how you understood me. But really, that's not what the problem is. The problem is, and then that becomes a really productive conversation mm. where you're understanding what your needs are, what unmet needs is not being met. It's not just hearing themselves talk. They're actually hearing each other. They're hearing each other and they're caring each other for each other and hopefully validating each other's points. Not that you're always agreeing, but you're validating it. And sometimes when you get that emotional temperature down, then I find a lot of couples can talk about things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you say emotional temperature, and that's like the somatic things that happens in our body when we're mm -hmm. like held up. Or, you know, what are yeah. the different signs that our listeners can tell whether they're not emotionally ready to have this conversation? Yeah. So there, <laughs> there are a couple things when I work with people. So I usually ask the question, when you start to get emotional or you start to feel it, what goes on in your body? The first thing for listeners, I would say just ask themselves that question because a lot of people have different. I've heard some people say, I feel my heart starting to beat fast. Yeah. I've heard some say, I feel a pit in my stomach. Some say I start to get warm all over. Or your hands some, get really cold. Some, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some get cold. Yeah. Oh, here's the thing about it. Grit and teeth, whatever it might be, that's usually your first indicator because your body is actually having a reaction. And so if we're aware of what our body's doing, we can easily slow it down there for a moment or something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hey, either I need to take a break for a moment or I could slow down and catch myself enough to settle myself. Sometimes I'll do some breathing instead of myself so I can continue on with the conversation. So that's, I always call that the best option because I like to say that keeps us from entering the fear dance or emotional cycle. And then I like to say saying something stupid. Because, you know? yeah, you're not really yeah. yourself when you're all yeah. riled up. And yeah, all you're, not, are... you're your worst self when you're all riled up. Here's right. the second indicator. And unfortunately, this is the one. You're in the cycle. And maybe you're finding yourself getting defensive or cross-complaining or yelling, mm -hmm. shutting down or ignoring. You find yourself doing those different things. And so when you find yourself doing those things, here's the question to ask yourself. What's going on inside of me? I like that question. Yeah. What's going on inside of me right now? Because here's the thing, when we're at our best selves, when we're feeling whole, healthy, and good, at peace and different things, we aren't yelling at people. We aren't being defensive. We aren't cross-complaining. We aren't shutting down. We aren't ignoring. We aren't fact-fighting. We aren't arguing about who's right, who's wrong, or whatever, all those things we do. So when we start to do those things, that's a good indicator that something is going on inside of us. Yeah. And I like how you bring that up because, you know, what's going on inside of us, it's good for us to be aware of it. Because I feel like once you get to the having that difficult conversation, you're almost there. Mm -hmm. That's like the goal, right? To get started mm -hmm. before you even get to having the courage to bring it up. 
you go through so much dilemma or debating with yourself, whether is this even worth talking about? Should I even put myself out there and be vulnerable and admit Mm -hmm. to the fact that I'm having an issue about the topic? And here's what I mean by that. We may not know our buttons or triggers or all sorts of different things. Like you asked me a little bit about my story at the beginning. My story affects me in certain ways. It affects the work I do, but it also affects how sometimes I could have a little fear of abandonment from being in different families and doing different things like that. It could affect different things. So we don't know how our stories affect us. We don't know how our body reacts when we are emotionally unsafe. We don't know a lot of these things. We're just living and existing. So I like to say the first and most important thing is actually personal awareness. Because if we can be personally aware, then we can learn how to govern ourselves or regulate ourselves so we can act instead of react. And those are two different things. Reaction is something that happens automatically. So like, for instance, I might have a button push and all of a sudden I'm like, ah, you know what? I'm like, give it a body yeah. sign or something like that. We all have our different reactions. Sometimes yeah. I've done that before I even realize it. But I know this enough about myself now. Okay, I'm doing that. What just went on with me? What was just triggering mm-hmm. me? And so I can yeah. find that out and talk about it. A lot of times we do things like this. We might get side, side, get mad, or I don't know, explain or fact find whatever our reaction is. But then we're looking at our spouse and say, you made me do this. You, you made, made me. me do so it's like blaming others for your yeah, own Yeah, you start behaviors. blaming others. Blaming the spouse, blaming the kids, blaming the parents, blaming whoever. You made me do this when the truth is we had a reaction based on Mm -hmm. what was going on inside of us. And that comes down to figuring out what that barrier is. And it could Mm -hmm. be definitely things that are rooted from your personal experience. And when I say barriers, there's a lot of the fears, right? There's the fear of judgment, the fear of failure, the Mm -hmm. negative self-beliefs that we all hold. So understanding this first is key to being able to even have the courage to have that conversation and to put yourself out there and be vulnerable to get to the solution. Yeah, that's definitely so true. So knowing all those things is so important. And I find whether that's an individual or marital therapy, that's so important. And why I focus on that is a lot, because if we can become personally aware of what's going on with us, Mm -hmm. can learn how our stories, our life, and whatever influences us, And we can learn to make decisions based on our values, our beliefs, setting boundaries based on those things. And then we can learn how to have better lives because of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you said it perfectly. William, you have something new that you're creating. Can you tell us about this? I sure can. So I am creating a course on building connection in marriage. It is a group program. And so we're looking to have five to 10 couples. And what we'll do is we'll spend about four to six weeks talking about the things that we've talked about today, a little bit about what is our reactive emotional cycle or fear dance, learning how to construct that and seeing what's going on in us. 
We'll also talk about once we understand what that is, learning how to regulate ourselves emotionally so the emotional temperature can come down in our conflict. And then we will talk about for those things, but then learn how to have conversations based on what happens. What I said earlier, you said, when you said, when we had to talk about our child and parenting, I felt devalued and dismissed. And what I wanted to feel was accepted. Learning how to make statements like that, learning how to listen to that. Because when we are able to do that, you're actually building emotional connection and emotional intimacy. And so we'll talk about those things during that particular course and give you format and structure on how to do. And then we may add some bonuses on like how to have a win-win conversation. In other words, having decisions where because you and your spouse are operating as a team, you're making decisions as a team. Oftentimes we do compromise or we do things like one person wins, one person loses, but that's a loss for the marriage. I'm a big basketball fan. And so I like to make this example often. One of Michael Jordan's famous games was when he scored 63 points against the Boston Celtics in overtime that really launched him on the NBA stage because the Boston Celtics were a great team about that time. He scored 63 points. Everybody remembers that but the Bulls lost the game to the Celtics. So at the end of the day, it didn't matter that Michael scored 63 points, his team still lost. And so what we want is your marriage, your team to figure out how to work in partnership and win together. Because when we're winning together, we're building trust, we're building intimacy, we're building connection and all those things. So is building connection with your spouse will be coming up soon. The website will be www.marriagestrengthcoach.com. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And William, where can we find you? You can find me right now on faithandfamilyempowerment.com. If you're in the state of Georgia, we can actually do counseling with you. You can email me at whemphill, H-E-M-P-H-I-L-2 at faithandfamilyempowerment.com. In the next two or three weeks, you'll also be able to find me on YouTube at Marriage Strength Coach. Nice. Where we're talking about a lot of these things about faith, intimacy, integrity, trust, and teamwork. That's awesome. And people can also listen to you on your podcast, right? Yes, they can. Faith and Family Matters podcast. So you can listen to me. That's actually on Spotify iTunes, we have some episodes there that you can go through, and then we'll be adding some more bricks up. That's great. Thank you so much, William. And any other last tips that you can leave our audience with? Find a way to practice good self-care, spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally. Because here's the thing I've seen. When we care for ourselves, we're better husbands, we're better wives, we're better parents, we're better children, we're better workers, we're better friends, so on and so forth. And so that piece is so important. And so my encouragement is to take the time to do that. Care for yourself. Excellent. Yes, I always say start within. Always starts within. Thank you again, William, for being here with me today. Thank you so much.
If you resonate at all with the stories on this podcast, and you're thinking about a change in your current situation, in your career, in your relationship, or maybe even in yourself, what's holding you back from taking the first step? Find out by taking the What's Your Biggest Self Sabotage quiz that you can find on my website at mariagracewolk.com. Until next time, stay kind and own your journey. Thank you again for your time today. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to hit subscribe, rate, and review. I would so appreciate it. The high rate and reviews will help others find the podcast so we can amplify, normalize, and break the mental health stigma. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. This is given with the understanding that neither the host or the guest are providing legal, mental health, or other professional information. If you need a professional, you should find one. This podcast does not substitute for personal professional services.